Hey guys, Rachel here. We've got some big things coming up uh, here on Race Wife Unfiltered. And in order for you to know about those big things before everybody else does, you need to subscribe to the VIP section newsletter. Uh, the link is in the is in the description. And also you get a free gift from me just for being here and just for wanting to be a part of the VIP section. So um, one thing that I can tell you guys, I will not give you all of the details, but um, we will be moving platforms. I'm not going to mention what platform that is, uh, because if you are subscribed to the newsletter, you would know that. But um, we will no longer have Podbean as our main platform anymore. Um, and that is due to a content safety violation that they gave us. Um, and I'll be honest, don't know what why that is. Maybe women in motorsports is a little too spicy for them. I don't know. But um, we're just going to go to a platform that really wants our content and doesn't feel that we are a burden or, or anything like that. So... So yeah, guys, go ahead and subscribe um, to the podcast on other platforms um, because if you are subscribed to Podbean, um, we will be leaving Podbean. So definitely don't uh, don't subscribe there. Subscribe wherever else. Um, and also, so today's guest that we have um, is a woman. Um, she's such an amazing woman and she's so much fun to talk to. Uh, she is from the dirt side of motorsports and, um, and you guys know that I'm always wanting to get more women in dirt on the podcast because obviously one thing is obviously dirt is close to my heart, but as well as the fact that there's not very many women that are on the dirt side. Um, and whether they're a driver or a race wife, whatever the case may be, you don't have a lot of them that get to share their stories. And so I'm glad that I was able to give her that platform. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Race Wife Unfiltered, hosted by your favorite bougie race wife, Rachel Thornhill. Every week, she shares stories of her life as a race wife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Hey guys, welcome back to Race Wife Unfiltered. I am your host, Rachel Thornhill. And today we have a special guest. Uh, she is a realtor in Pennsylvania. She's a mom. And also she is a race wife to a sprint car driver. Uh, so welcome, Kristen Bowser. Hi, Kristen. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm glad you uh, were able to take time out of your schedule to come on the podcast. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, so obviously everything that we mentioned. Um, so tell tell us about how you got into racing. So like, were you into racing before you met your husband? Yeah, yeah, I am. Um... I would be like fourth generation in my family um, racing. So um, my dad's dad, my dad's grandfather, um, both raced uh, modifieds. And then my uncle 
races modifieds, um, Brian Swordslander. So he's, um, I grew up with that. He's fantastic um, person and driver. And uh, he was just inducted into the Dirt Car Hall of Fame a few years ago. So I was really lucky to grow up around that. Um, yeah. And then um, actually my husband hasn't been in racing that long. Um, so I was in it quite a bit um, longer than him. He just started racing at 18, actually, in a sprint car. So um, yeah, he's coming up on, I think this is 18 years now. Um, but we met at the racetrack. My family owned uh, Precise Racing Products, a speed shop here that we sold um, back in 2010, I believe, to Who's Retirement Atlantic. Um, but yeah, that's how we uh, met. We I was doing trackside sales at uh, a racetrack and he actually, I don't even think he was racing then. Um, but yeah, we met there and stayed in touch over the years when I went to college and then I moved um, actually away to San Francisco. And then when I moved back, we got together and we were married like, I think within a year we were married. Um, so yeah, and it's, um, we've been together 13 years, I think like a week or two ago, and we've been married uh, for 11 and a half. So wow, <laughs> good, yeah. Yeah, and now we have a son, um, a two-year-old son named Enzo. So. Yeah. And, and it's crazy how, you know, you mentioned you moved back and like you guys literally like got together and were like, we're doing this a year yeah. later, you're married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It didn't, didn't take very long. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it's worked out really well, obviously. Um, and we've gotten to do like so many great things together. So start businesses and travel and race all over the place. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool. Yeah. That's amazing. So obviously you guys are in Pennsylvania. So, um, obviously that's a huge area for racing. Yeah. I mean, especially dirt. I mean that, yeah. So, um, so do you guys mainly race locally or do you, um, sometimes travel outside the state? We, um, we do both this year. We, ever since we had my son and with COVID, we've um, been a lot more local, but, um, we ran the all-star tour in 2018. Um, we still travel some for all-star and outlaw races, but we're just so, um, spoiled here. Like we can hit like 60 or 70% of the racetracks in America within six hours of us. I mean, we can be, we're three hours to Fremont. We're um, four or five to like weed sport. We're six to Charlotte. Um, Lernerville Speedway is 15 minutes from us. So uh, we don't have to go far to race. Um, we've talked about like exploring living other places and it just, it makes so much sense while we're racing, especially with spring car racing. Um, to be right here. We talked to some of our friends that we ran the all-star tour with and, and they drive like six, seven, eight hours, um, for just for weekly shows. And like, we have to, you know, drive 20 minutes. Um, right. so yeah, it's, we're, we're very lucky to be in the area that we're in. Yeah. And that makes sense. Um, especially cause it's something that your husband wants to stick with. So mm -hmm. it's like, why, why not stay pretty much where you can race on a consistent basis? because that's what we started in with sprint cars, but my yeah. husband had to give it up because here in Louisiana, they stopped running them. Yeah. Um, they don't have and, anything down there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. yeah. And so for, with the sprint car, we had to travel, we had to go to Dallas, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth area, or sometimes we go to like Beaumont down there. 
Um, or we had to go to, um, you know, sometimes in Mississippi, they would run it towards, you know, the Northern part, like why not up there? Um, and then, you know, or we'd have to go to Florida, you know, to mm -hmm. out, out that way. So it, for us, it just didn't make sense. It wasn't feasible for us to travel like that. And so it's like, my husband was like, okay, well, we kind of need to figure out something else. And so that's why he went with a crate late model mm -hmm. because he can run that anywhere and we yeah. can run on a consistent basis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, traveling is tough financially, but also if you can't travel consistently, then you lose mm -hmm. that momentum. So yeah. you're spending more and you're probably not performing as well. So then you're making less. It just mm -hmm. like do, going on a sanctioning body tour, I think makes sense because of show up money and points money, but also just the amount of racing you do. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we, we find that, um, a lot of the touring races around us, like when they hit our area, you know, we've maybe run 20 times. The touring drivers have already run 40, 50 times. Like, how do you compete with that at this mm -hmm. point? You know, so yeah, traveling's great and fun and I really like to do it, but it only makes sense if you're you're racing really consistently and right. can build momentum into it. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately down here, we only have one like series that kind of runs like sprint cars and that's the hurricane, um, sprinters down here, but their, their schedule is very, very small. Mm -hmm. um, I think their schedule only consists of like 10 races for the whole season. Um, yeah. and because of obviously weather down here, you just never know when it's going to rain. So I mean, half their, half their races could be rained out and then yeah. they're down to like, you know, maybe five or six races for the whole season. Yeah. And so, yeah, some, that's why my husband was like, it's not worth it for us to have a sprint car because he's like, the sprint car would pretty much be a lawn ornament. Cause yeah. it, would sit, it would just sit for yeah. so long because we wouldn't be able to race consistently. And yeah. so that, yeah, that's really the only bad thing about, you know, being down here, but yeah, that's one thing he's always talked about is like, you know, um, Pennsylvania is like huge for sprint cars. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, with you guys living up there, of course you can run on a very consistent basis. And yeah. then also, um, and Minnesota, they run sprint cars on a weekly basis up there too. And yeah. so it's like, you know, it's like if you can get to states that run like that on a consistent basis, then it's, yeah. you know, it's worth it. Yeah, there's some good pockets in the country, but mm -hmm. you know, Western Pennsylvania, the tracks don't pay as much as like mm -hmm. say Williams Grove or Port Royal or something like that, or even on the other side, like Fremont, Attica, Eldora but um we can race like we can get to those tracks if we want right. to um there we've got a couple of guys in our area that actually race like port royal which is three and a half four hours for us but they actually mm -hmm. um they make that tow every week and um i don't know what ports points pay but like the points right. itself is such a you know a huge incentive so yeah if you can find a pocket um for whatever racing you're doing it's definitely worth it to be located in that yeah yeah. Um, and it's like, it's kind of, um, it's like if you go further out West, you, you know, there's a lot, uh, you know, for sprint cars as well, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you go out into Texas, 
um, for sure that, and so for us, that was, that was, it wasn't really feasible, but that would have been like really the only place that we could have like really raced on a consistent basis. If, you know, if traveling wasn't so expensive um, to get there. Um, but yeah, cause we're, we're eight hours away from Dallas and then, and then from like Beaumont out that way, that's about five to six hours. So yes, I mean, that's, that's a huge trip to do on a regular basis. So, um, so yeah, so it was like for us that just wasn't worth it. Um, but yeah, so yeah, for you guys, it's like, uh, three hours, maybe like, that's not too bad. But, um, but yeah, like you mentioned, like one of the tracks is like 20 minutes away. Yeah. 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 And that's what it is for us. Like, so the track that we run at, um, Baton Rouge Raceway, that's like our local track. That's 20 minutes away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, like, and I mean, they don't run every week. They run every other week. Mm-hmm. That's the only bad thing because that makes it harder for us to race on a consistent right. basis. Um, because there is no other tracks for us to run at. So the track that we're going to this weekend, Pike County Speedway in Magnolia, Mississippi, they don't run very often. They are only running if somebody is willing to sponsor a race. Hmm. Other than that, they're close. (laughs) So interesting. And so, yeah, so that's why there's this three-day thing. It's the I-55 Street Stock Shootout, but they're doing other, you know, other uh, races as well. It's not mm-hmm. just the street stocks until we're going because it's a big money race thing. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, we we have nowhere to race. So yeah, yeah. it's so, interesting. Yeah. Racing has changed a lot over the past mm-hmm. decade. I mean, just having grown up in it, and then um, I don't talk about this online very much. But like, I also have a consulting company called Dirty Mouth, um, and I've worked <laughs> with hundreds of drivers and now I, I almost exclusively work with tracks um but i've seen just kind of the evolution of um sanctioning bodies of divisions at tracks of how sponsorship works and it has just changed so much and um that's you know there's always just the debate over like the crate series and diluting you know adding more divisions and mm-hmm. you're just um there's more opportunities, um, but there's also less opportunities in other ways, you know, so it's just finding that balance. And I think um, between that and with the pandemic and everything, it just mm-hmm. um, things have changed so much in the last couple of years. And I think it's going to be a couple of years before it kind of all settles out um, and we see, you know, where we're at and what tracks are going to survive and right. what divisions are going to survive. Um, but I've seen a lot of tracks and racers get a lot better um Mm -hmm. you know those who have embraced technology um and new ways of marketing and new ways of structuring um how they run their track um with streaming um with different ticketing um like ways of looking at ticketing and concessions Mm -hmm. i've seen people really thrive um in the new economy so if you can embrace it i think it's going to be really great, but it, I think it is weeding a lot of um, a lot of people out, which is unfortunate. But um, 
that's how you know capitalism works unfortunately, yeah. unfortunately i don't know um but yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years because i've i've definitely seen a huge shift over the last five to ten yeah and i agree and especially here we've had a lot of tracks close mm -hmm. you know due to funding issues or whatever it may be um, and that's also, that's why we haven't really been, we really don't have any tracks around here yeah. anymore is because we, the ones that we did go to, they've all closed. Um, and so we only have one that's within driving distance that we can afford to do, mm -hmm. um, that that's still open and running, you know, on a pretty consistent basis. Um, and that, and I think that, like you mentioned, the technology thing, like they don't, they don't, they don't advertise. Like mm -hmm. they might, they have a, most of these tracks around here, they only have a Facebook page. That's it. And they don't live stream anything. They don't, you know what I'm saying? Like they just might post something really quick to tell people, oh, we're racing tonight. And that's about it. Um, and yeah, they're like, there's re no real marketing strategy. They just pretty much, um, they pretty much just bank on their regulars to show up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so unfortunately it doesn't help because like I've talked to so many people that didn't even know, like they're locals, like they've lived in Baton Rouge pretty much their whole entire lives. They didn't even know that Baton Rouge raceway was still open because, mm -hmm. and, and that's sad is because mm -hmm. they were like, because oh, my, my husband, you know, we, we have an open trailer, so we pull all the time and people will like, sometimes like when we're at a gas station or whatever, they'll be like, Hey, like, where are you racing at? You know, we see your car and we'll tell them Baton Rouge Raceway. And they're like, that place is still open. I didn't know that. Or Yeah. And then, and it's like, wait, like you didn't know that. And they're like, no, like I had no idea that that place was still open. And it's because they don't advertise yeah they, they don't like they just bank on people that run there consistently to just you know use social media and just look at their facebook page but they don't boost posts they don't you know they don't do anything like that yeah uh, and so and it's crazy because the and i've actually tried to work with them um, cause I want it, you know, obviously with the podcast and stuff, it's like, why not, you know, why not try and give them that platform? Mm -hmm. Um, but this crazy, but Pike County, the one that's practically closed is giving me that opportunity this weekend. Okay. And that's it's awesome. like, it's crazy because they're like, um, yeah, so pretty much I'm going to be almost like their pit reporter uh -huh. for, the week, for the weekend. <laughs> and so they're going to be live streaming and they're going to be doing all this stuff and it's something they've never done. Yeah. But it's like, finally, like they, you know, somebody wants to like give it a chance. I've been promoting, I, I've been promoting the street stock shootout. Like I created an ad for the podcast and it's crazy, but they've gotten more sponsors. Like they've even added additional classes that weren't even a part of it at first because they're actually getting traction yeah. and it's like this is why you do that like yeah. they reached out to me though for uh to put it on the podcast because you know awesome. they were like, it yeah they they reached out to my husband 
Uh, and then my husband, you know, got, got them in touch with me. But uh-huh. yeah, it, but it's like they're actually being open about trying a different marketing strategy and it's already paying off. That's and it's awesome. like, you know, um, more tracks should do that. It's like got to embrace social media and technology and use it to your advantage. Cause it's like, it's different if you were like already like broadcasted on like dirt vision or flow racing or something like that, then you don't really, you know, like then you already have like that market and you already are touching that demographic, but for local tracks that don't have that because they're not, they're obviously not being televised like that or whatever use live streaming, like live streaming is like one of the best things you can do. I mean, whether it's your Facebook page or if you set up a YouTube or a Twitch channel, like it's not, it's free, right? Like there's no, there's no expense involved. It's just your time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big proponent of that. I mean, you're not so many tracks. I started talking about social media in like 2015 or 16. I actually spoke, um, at the RPM promoters workshops. I did like Daytona for a couple of years, Indy, um, Vegas, Reno. And then I went out to Portland and did their promoters meetings a couple of years. And the um, tracks that implemented some of that stuff, I mean, just blew them out of the water because they, a lot of them went from thing, and I'm not the person that changed their mind. I'm not trying to say that, but um, I gave them a lot of the tools. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them I did work hands-on with. I think I've worked with like close to a hundred tracks now. Um, But, um, you know, a lot of them, think they're they're competing with the um you know fall football schedule or the local movie theater Mm. or you know fill in the blank like the you know local hockey team whatever this is what you're competing with you're competing with somebody's phone like that is you have to get them in the door and there's a couple of ways to do that live stream is a good one of the uh you know a good example of that I've had clients that give away tons of tickets, give Mm. away hundreds of tickets every week because those people will come in and pay money at the concession stand. They will buy a pill and a pretty decent percentage of them will come back and buy a ticket again. You have to get them in the door and show them what the atmosphere is. And I'm sorry if, if they're not going to come back either, a they're never going to, you know, they're not a race fan Mm-hmm. or you're not giving them enough of an experience. Right. Um, so that's when you have to look at your product, but you have to get them in the door or you have to allow them to see the product be- be- for them to pay 15 or 20 bucks and give up their entire Friday or Saturday night mm-hmm. to see what's at your racetrack. It just blows my mind that um, we're not seeing that. Um, because but I think so many of these tracks paid their purses on the back gate for so long Mm -hmm. And now less people can afford to race. So you can't, and you know, you used to have, we used to have like 4.2 people come in with every car. It's going down and down. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you can't pay on the back gate, you have to put people in the stands to be profitable, you know? So how do you do that? You have to find new ways to do it. Mm -hmm. I could read for hours on this one. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. Because, well, and the thing is, and I, and I think you and I are both passionate about that because we're seeing that trend, and it's like 
if we want these racetracks, because local racetracks is literally the grassroots of racing, right? And the thing is, if they can't stay open, then you can't have racing to continue for more generations, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if they can't stay open, especially the ones that have been around forever, like I know, and, and I'm sure you guys have some of these historical tracks that are still open. Like, for example, here, Baton Rouge has been around at least now. I, at, it was well known in the 70s, but I know it was around before then. So, I mean, you're talking about a place that's probably been around since like the 50s, 60s. Um, and for that place to possibly close would literally like that would destroy this whole entire racing community because there would be nothing left. Yeah. So it's like when you you and you want these type of places to stay around forever. Um, and so it's like that's why we're so passionate about it is because it's like the last thing we want is for these type of tracks to close because that's all a lot of these local racers have yeah, because absolutely. a lot of them will not travel They're yeah. They only race where they live and that's it. And it's like, if that closes down, they, in their minds, they have no place to race because yeah. some of them can't afford to travel. No. Uh, and so, yeah, like, you know, it makes a lot of sense that it's like that. And that's why I'm passionate about it too. And that's why I want to help, you know, these local tracks because it's like, if you're not open, this whole entire racing community has nowhere to go. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And your money just goes so much further with social media advertising. Mm -hmm. um, a couple of years ago, I don't know if I can say what track it was, but they were spending oh, yeah. okay. tens of thousands of dollars um, on newspaper ads, radio mm. ads um, for one of their big um big like marquee events Got and it. the first year we're like hey spend 10 percent of your budget with us on social media mm -hmm. the next year they spent 10 percent of their budget on newspaper and radio ads we were able to cut their budget basically to about overall like 30 percent of what they were spending before wow. and blew it out of the water with social media it just your money if you're if you're working with someone or you can train somebody um and that's something I've done over the years is I've mm -hmm. trained people, um, you know, different staff members at different tracks all over the country on how to do their own ads. Right. Um, I mean, you can spend 25 bucks and mm -hmm. a couple thousand people. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And they're not just people, they're target, you know, right. people that like things like this that are mm -hmm. very likely to, you know, walk through your door. Um, especially yeah. like you need them to see you like seven times for them, you know, to remember you. Mm -hmm. It's really easy to do with social media. Um, so I really like, especially tracks that are struggling. I'm like, put your money into social media. Stop with yeah. all the like little, um, I mean, I'm all for supporting local businesses, but like the little, you know, newsletters and, um, you know, what do you call them? Like push pin boards and, yeah. and stuff like that cut your budget and just do social media for a while and see what happens because you're going to save money and make more money. Like if it doesn't, if you spend 25 bucks on social media, if you don't sell two more tickets, you, like you're not doing something right. right <laughs> like exactly. you the whole situation because I mean, that pays dividends. There's just no mm -hmm. way that that math doesn't make sense. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and like you mentioned, that's the great thing about social media ads is that you pick the target audience that it goes to. So yeah. you know it. So if you're, if you know as a business, if you know your audience, you know your demographic very well. You can easily do well. Like your conversion mm -hmm. rates will, bl you know, blow out the water, right? Yeah. Because it's true. Like if you know your audience well enough, there's no reason that you should not be able to do well on social media. Absolutely. Um, I'm such a nerd on that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, my degree is industrial engineering and operations research. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm a huge data nerd. And that's one of the things we've done mm -hmm. for clients over the years. And that like the next set of clients, every, every ad set you do, it just gets better and better. And we've A-B tested. I mean, I, I can tell you what food to put on a target ad to get a race fan through the door. Like it's that, I mean, I just, I love to AB test different things. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it's just so, it's it's simple, but I get why it's intimidating. I think a lot of these racetracks, and you think about who's running them, right? Um, if they, you know, were built in the 60s, 70s, 80s, right. probably inherited from somebody mm -hmm. or it's, in, it's farmland that was built on, or it's a former racer that's really passionate about right. it. Um, and no wonder they're struggling to not, it's not their fault necessarily. They're not generally like they didn't start as business people. They just started right. as people that had a passion for the sport. Mm -hmm. Um, so now we have to get up to speed on the business end. Right. So I get that it can be kind of intimidating, but it's really simple once you start doing it. Yeah. And, and you're right. And also, um, some of these people, if they, if they're older, like an older generation, social media is just a totally different thing. Like yeah. it's not something that they're used to. It's not something that they really know a ton about or, um, or they seriously. don't. Yeah. Or yeah. Like they're just on social media to like talk to their friends and family yeah. and that's about it. Right. Yeah. And they're not using it in a business aspect. Right. So it's so like you mentioned, um, and well, also back then you didn't have social media. So they're used to using other avenues like right. newspapers and radio and, um, you know, sometimes flyers what, or, you know, or mailers, right. Sending stuff through the mail. But at the same time, like the problem with mailers, well, one, it's extremely expensive and two, you can't really target because all you can really target by is just zip codes. Yeah. So you can't, you know what I'm saying? Like you can't do it like social media where you can go by age group. You can go by, you know, what their interests are on social media, like the different types of Facebook pages that they follow, things like that. So you can't target it in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like, you're just wait, wasting number one, you're wasting paper. So it's not sustainable. Right. <laughs> and then also on top of that, it's like, you, you're also wasting money because how many people throw just randomly throw their mail away? Cause it's like, Oh, it's just some random flyer and they just throw it away. You know? Well, so yeah. And think about your product. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. Racing is so interactive. It's right. all about like the sound, the sight, mm -hmm. you know, the smell, like 
it is um, so much of an experience that a billboard, maybe a billboard is necessary for your marquee events, but right. um, you know, just some random person isn't going to drive by and see that and be like, oh man, that looks like mm -hmm. really exciting. No, it's just a, it's a race car on a billboard. Yeah. They don't exactly. know what that is, but if they see, you know, footage, um, you know, from the infield on a social media ad, Mm -hmm. maybe that grabs their attention and says like, Hey, I got to see what this is. You know, you can't yeah. do that with a postcard. No, not at all. Um, and yeah. And it's like video will get you a long way. Like mm -hmm. when it comes to that, um, yeah. I mean, cause I mean, we even see it just like on our personal pages. Like when my husband shares videos from Baton Rouge raceway, like whenever we race, the views that he gets just from local people because it is ridiculous. Like it, yeah. it's a lot. And like pretty much my, my husband could pretty much promote them, you know, on his own because, you know, there, there's so many people that he knows personally that they're like, man, I need to come see you race. Like I saw your video mm -hmm. on Facebook and, you know, I didn't even realize that you were racing out there, um, you know, I'm going to come to a race. And it's like, yeah, like it, social media is now, if you're not using it to promote your business, like you're losing out. And honestly, yeah. like you're like, you really need it just to be able to reach your market because now social media is just a part of our lives oh, and yeah. we, you know, and we've got to use it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's been interesting, um, you know, shifting into real estate, mm -hmm. seeing, you know, that um, change for me as well. Um, you know, I did Dirty Mouth for so many years and I still own that company. I don't do as much like I, I let's see, in 2019, um, mm -hmm. my husband and I decided we, we had agreed on no kids. We were 100% no kids uh, when we got married. We just um they're nice but like we didn't want one <laughs> and then um in 2019 we were just like man maybe we both want to um so we decided to take a year and think that through obviously mm -hmm. um and i decided that because i loved what i did so much and still love what i do so much i was working you know 70 80 90 hours a week and i didn't even realize it because i just loved it so much yeah but I was already like really burnt out and mm. um, physically like my health just was in such rough shape. And like, I probably, maybe I did look like it. I don't know, but I don't think, you know, <laughs> it was like visible, but I was just so run down and I decided um, to really scale back that business mm -hmm. um, and get my real estate license um, eventually. Um, but yeah, shifting um, social media in that way, um, just, you know, it's just so interesting. Every industry, there's um, nuances and you just can see the power of marketing with social media in every industry. And it's it's this different, but it's the same. I mean, you can just take so many. That was one of the things that I really enjoyed. Um, when I lived in San Francisco, I worked, um, I did PR for the 49ers um, and I was mm. up there. So I was able to get exposed to a lot of different tactics. Um, marketing tactics. And then I came home and promoted a racetrack here for a while. And then, um, joined, Oh, actually joined an ad agency. And then I did, mm -hmm. um, promoted the racetrack, but I was able to take 
things from other industries and apply them. And that's what I see in every industry. If you can pull from a different industry, right. you can really set yourself apart um, from your competition. So um, it's just been an interesting journey, um, you know, with racing to, to see how that's unfolded um, through the pandemic and how people got a lot of people got really good at social media in the pandemic tracks and yeah. racers. I mean, got so much innovation happened um, and it was so exciting to see. And now, um, you know, seeing it from a different lens, um, it's, it's just such a powerful tool. Yeah, I agree. And um, especially like you mentioned during COVID, I mean, gosh, TikTok exploded, yeah. right? Because yeah. everybody was on it. Everybody mm -hmm. was on social media. Just like, I, I mean, with everything. It's like so many people realize that, I mean, when you went, when everybody went through COVID, it, it changed like everybody's mindset. Like yeah. there's so many people that realize that like maybe the corporate world wasn't for them anymore. Mm -hmm. Cause they're like, Oh my gosh. Like, or, you know, they got laid off because yeah. of COVID or whatever. And it's like, you had so many people that really started to become more passionate and they started to like really follow like what they truly wanted to do, like their life purpose. Cause it's like, I don't know what it was, but it seemed like so many people went through spiritual awakenings during COVID. It's, it's insane, but yeah. it's like what our whole entire lives, like completely like did, I wouldn't even say one eighties. I'd say three, six, like it was like almost like a three sixty. Yeah. Cause it's like, we almost like had to like make this huge shift and then come back to ourselves. Yeah. And it's like, what am I doing? Like, is this how I really want to live my life for the rest, you know, for the rest of my days, you know? And then it's like, so, so many people just like either left their jobs or they, you know, were like, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do this, you know, but documenting all of it. And mm -hmm. it's like, people really got to be more personal through social media. And I think because of that, that's made, that's what created this huge shift into personal branding, yeah. right? Like more people are starting to build personal brands now. And it's like, especially in the racing community, your personal brand is everything mm -hmm. because that's how you get sponsorships. That's how you get brand deals. That's how you get all of that. And it's like your personal brand is so important. And also even people that choose to stay in the corporate world, your personal brand is still important oh, because, absolutely. you know, and so, and for some people, they don't know how to like, how to make that adjustment. It's mm -hmm. like, they kind of almost like, and like, I had that problem because I still work in the corporate world. And mm -hmm. so I didn't really know how to separate myself from my job and be able to promote my personal brand at the same time. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, you know, and so honestly, social media is what helped me. Cause it's like, there were so many people that were like, this is how you do it. Like, yeah. it's okay to have your personal brand. You know, if you're, if your employer has a problem with it, that's, that's their problem. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're not, if, as long as you don't, you're not like messing up a non-compete clause or, right. you know, or yeah. something or, or, yeah. or uh, you know, an NDA or anything like that, then 
it doesn't matter. Like you have the right to build your own personal stuff. So yeah. And it's really hard, I think, too. I mean, I think with COVID, we all a lot of us got to take a step back or were forced Mm -hmm. to take a step back, I guess. Um, you know, and for a lot of us it was scary, like having a business then. Um, and I got pregnant, um, like I pregnant the first time in March of 2020, about a week before COVID hit. And Mm -hmm. then um, we actually lost that baby. And then I got pregnant again in June. Um, so it was scary. And like being an entrepreneur, you're, you know, we didn't have any income. Um, so it's, it's scary, but also you had all this kind of time off, um, you know, when you weren't scrambling to, (laughs) take a lot of perspective. Um, so I think it makes sense that social media grew so much then. And, you know, from a business perspective, I look at like so many people learned how to do social media well, um, right. you know, and really learn like the algorithms. I mean, people talk about them like it's a four letter word, but you have to think about what the platforms want when you're, mm-hmm when you're creating content, if you're looking to reach a certain audience, right? Right. Um, If you're just creating it for you, then do whatever you want. Um, Right. But you have to think about like Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok. Oh my God, I couldn't think of it. Um, (laughs) um, They all want to keep people on the platform, right? So Mm -hmm. they want to promote content that engages the people that are watching it or reading it or whatever you're doing with it. Um, so I think a lot of people learned how to do that really well, um, mm-hmm. built, you know, personal brands based on it. Like you said, I still struggle with that. Um, yeah. you know, because I just, I'm not naturally like a creator. Um, mm-hmm. but, it's a great way for me to reach people like you, people that are like me that have, um, you know, the same mindset and motivations. And um, I didn't, I kind of fell into the real estate thing. Um, So, you know, I should be building a real estate brand, but that's, I don't feel like that's who I am. I feel like I'm a race team owner. I've Mm -hmm. trained hundreds of people on how to market their race teams is not necessarily like a product that I want to sell. You know, I've done workshops and that kind of thing, but like, that's not necessarily what I want to do anymore, but I do want to, um, I want to show people that whatever dream you have or whatever lifestyle you want, that that's possible. And there's, um, a lot of ways to do that, whether it's being a business owner, whether it's investing in real estate, whether, you know, it's finding sponsorships or marketing, but um, it doesn't have to be just racing, but I just want people, um, that's what I, I found was so rewarding with racing is, you know, when I'm training or when I was training racers um, on how to find sponsorships, mm-hmm. somebody is passionate about a dream that they have and they just need a little bit of help and encouragement and motivation to see that that's possible and it's okay. Um, and if it's outside of the box and your mom doesn't understand what you're doing, like you need a, you know, you need a community around you um, that's going to encourage you and tell you, you know, you're doing a great job. Um, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of people find this in racing, but um, I find and it's, it's not, um, it's not a criticism, but 
I think a lot of us find that the people that should encourage us the most in our lives are the ones that support us the least. And it's not because like they're mean or bad people. Um, we're just not fitting into the, the box that they have in their minds of who we are and how we should be. Um, and so you'll find, I'm sure, you know, you've probably found in your life that um, you have to go find those people. Like a, somebody across the country who you've never met in person might cheer you on more than your best friend. Um, yeah. And that's okay. They have different roles, but social media is a great place to find those people. Um, and, you know, to me, it's like, I don't have a huge following, but mm -hmm. um, at the same time, if you think about, you know, what is it? 3,000, 4,000 people in a in an auditorium that would picture that yeah. you know that's a lot of people if you if you help one person have a better day or um find their passion or show them what's possible like that's a huge difference um so that's to me like i don't know how i got on this tangent but um <laughs> no you're fine me, like that's you know why i create content it's not because like i like I don't know if you can hear my dog. Um, <laughs> I, that's why I create content. It's not comfortable for me. It's not mm -hmm. that fun. I mean, sometimes it's fun, but um, it's not something that like I'm super into, but um, connecting with other people, I am super into. Um, so that's how I have to do it. And that's good with me for now, you know? Yeah, no, and I agree with you. Like you mentioned, um, with me doing like the podcast and stuff, this is something completely out of my element. I am like the biggest introvert in person. So mm -hmm. like this pushes me to actually be extroverted in some way. Right. Um, and so, um, when I mentioned to other people that I personally knew that I was going to be doing a podcast, yeah, I got like, why would you do that? Like, yeah. why are you wanting to do that? You know? Um, but for me, it's like, um, it goes back, you know, this is just like more of like a spiritual thing. It's me healing my inner child because I never would speak up. Right. Yeah. So for me, it's, I'm using my voice for something I'm passionate about because I never use my voice. I'm always like keeping quiet and not mm -hmm. really saying anything. And so that's why I created this podcast because it's like, it gives me a platform to speak my mind, but at the same time, I'm also helping women in motorsports, no matter what they do, no matter what, they, you know, no matter how they contribute to the racing community as a whole, um, I, I give them the chance to share their stories because some of them, their stories are never heard. You know, mm -hmm. if you're not a racer, more than likely you don't have a platform like besides, you know, your own personal social media. Other than that, you're not going to be interviewed for anything. You're, you know, uh, especially race wives, like we don't get a platform. We're just expected to stand behind our husbands, yeah. you know? And so that was why I created this is because there's so many women that cater to the racing community that don't get to share their voices because they do stuff behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not glamorous, um, mm -mm. <laughs> but you know, and I think if you want to go into like the deeper spiritual stuff, like we're 
also as women, um, it is ingrained in us that it's not safe for us to be seen. So right. we're having to kind of shake that off and realize like that's not the way. I mean, society kind of was designed that way, but it's mm -hmm. it's not anymore. So we it's we really have to push ourselves, um, I think, to reframe that uh, for ourselves right. and also how we look at other people, other women, mm -hmm. um, and not criticizing. Um, and you know, you just, it's so built in, um, <laughs> to the way we were raised. And I don't think it's purposefully, it's just, that's, it wasn't safe for us, you know, a hundred years ago. Right um, now it is, but, um, that's so deeply ingrained in us. And, um, I know over the past couple of months, I've had a couple of, um, different women reach out to me and be like, I'm. I was so scared to write you this message, but um, I see what you're doing and I really like it. And I'd like to do that too. What do you think? And I'm like, do you really think like you're, you're calling me to be like, Hey, I'm going to copy you. Do you think I'm going to like, if I'm the person that's going to sit here and yell at you and be no, like, no, what, what kind of person would it absolutely <laughs> please like go do that? Like, uh, like I'm gonna call you and be like, hey, start posting more. Like I'm gonna encourage yeah. you and like we need more the more people that are doing it, the more people can do it. Like we need to give ourselves permission um to do as little or as much as we are comfortable with and right. to give the people around us permission. Because I look at like, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk to my son or you know, in front of my son, he's two. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, having deep conversations, but um you know, like, oh, he's going to be a race car driver someday. I mean, I pray that he is not. But, um, you know, we are not raising him to be a racer um, right. by any stretch. Um, we joke all the time that we're going to have to start selling things when he starts to get like eight or nine or ten. Um, but um, we just hope that like by him seeing us pursue our dreams and right. our passions, it gives him permission to do that in life. Like he's never going to wonder if we're going to support him, if he wants to do something crazy um, or something that we think is crazy or whatever. Like by doing things publicly like this, we're giving everyone else permission to be themselves too. And that's right. so important. That's just such a gift to give, you know, a friend or, um, you know, a kid or, you know, whoever. So I, I just think it's, really important um and i'd like to see more people doing that yeah i agree and 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 like you mentioned it is it's very ingrained into us to you know just i like just not be supportive to other women and like this whole thing of cutting other women down being catty and stuff like i am not about that like no. that to me that that's horrible because that's the last thing we need to be doing. Yeah. You know, um, that's not how like our ancestors were. That's one thing that I have to say, like we kind of went backwards on because obviously when, you know, going back to like when we were in tribes, when all the women stuck together, all mm -hmm. the women did everything together yeah. and for us to go backwards and pretty much separate ourselves from other women is actually the worst thing we could be doing. 
Um, yeah, and I think, but I think it is a natural um, thing, especially in racing, because you think like we're competing against each other all the time, like on the racetrack. It's really hard yeah. to separate that, especially because as women, most of the time, we're not the ones racing. So like we right. don't have that like natural boundary of like on the tracks, on the track and off the tracks off. Um, mm. I think it's really hard um, for everyone but the driver not to feel like the other people at the track are your competition. So I think, um, you know, challenging that mindset. Um, is yeah. Important. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, like you said, it's like sometimes it is hard to separate the whole on track, off track thing. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, um, like, for example, um, like on the podcast, I'll have like other motorsports creators mm -hmm. on here. They're obviously doing pretty much the same thing I do. Right. And I've had people ask me that they're like, why would you have your competition on your podcast? And I'm like, because I don't see them as competition because right. to me, I would rather collaborate than compete because yeah. there's plenty of room for all of us, especially women content creators. Cause there's not a lot of us. Yep. There's not, there's, there's less of us than there are men content creators. Oh, yeah. And why would I cut another woman creator down? Because she's, because technically she kind of does the same thing I do because we all have different personalities. We right. all cover different things in motorsports too. Cause some of them, they only cover F1. I don't cover just F1 and half the time. I don't even really talk about F1 a lot. I only talk about F1 if somebody like comes on the podcast and they're kind of affiliated with it. But mm -hmm. other than that, I mainly talk about dirt stuff, right? Because that's what my husband does. Um, or I talk about GT World Challenge because I watch that pretty regularly. Or I talk about NASCAR because I watch it. But Or in IndyCar. But other than that, it's like, I'll talk about anything. I'll talk about any type of racing, you know, with whoever comes on here. But that's the thing. Like, I don't cater to just one specific organization. Some of them do. Um, but also, we're all different. You know, we all have different personalities. And we all, you know, and I'm not for some people. And they, you know, and they might be okay with a different content creator. Yeah. And so that that's the way I see it. Like, there's always, there's always someone for everyone, right? Yeah. Like you know, I might not be your cup of tea, that creator might be. And so, yeah. And that's how I see it. Like there's, there's not enough of us and there's a huge audience out there. So right. there's plenty of people to share. Like, it's no big deal. Like yeah. that's how I look at it. Yeah. And like it, you're creating a market. Well, you don't, I guess you're not creating a market when there's a lot of creators or a lot of people in that industry, it, that creates the market. You don't want to be mm -hmm. the one inventing the wheel because then there's nobody shopping for a wheel. You know, right. the more motorsports podcasts or, you know, whatever it is, the mm -hmm. more people are listening and looking for that content. And it just helps everybody, um, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and we don't really have a lot of um, podcasts that cater to, you know, anything else but F1, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, because you can look up motorsport podcasts and it's pretty much going to be all F1 stuff. 
Um, And then eventually further down the line, you'll find mine and you'll find like a couple others, but it, yeah, it takes a long time to find anything else. And it's like, it's either that, or you have NASCAR podcast, Mm -hmm. but you don't have anybody that's really catering to any of the other, uh, especially dirt. I mean, the main one you have is wing nation, you know, but that's it. Like you just don't have anything else. Um, and so that's why I, you know, I, and also you don't really have any that cater to just the women in motorsports. Um, and the ones that where they're actually interviewing, not just drivers, because the ones that the other ones that are out there, they mainly interview just drivers. They don't, you know, they don't interview anybody else. And that was one thing that I wanted to cater to because especially race wives, nobody talks to them. (laughs) Crazy because it's like, we have such amazing stories to share. Like some of us didn't grow up in racing or some of us like you are multi-generational. Like you grew up at the racetrack, you know, you, you've been involved in it since day one. Um, and like, for me, I didn't grow up around racing. I didn't know anything about racing until I met my husband. Like I knew what NASCAR was, but that's it. And it's only because people I knew watched it, you know, and so they would talk about it at school. But other than that, I didn't know what, I didn't know anything about racing. Uh, The only like extreme sport I knew about was X games, but that's because it was on, you know, it, you know, watching in MTV and stuff as a kid, you know, they showed a lot of that stuff. Um, mm. but that was it. I only knew about motocross. Mm. I didn't know anything about racing, um, outside of that. And so when I met my husband, that's when my whole entire life changed. And I'm so glad for it because I love, I love racing and I see why people are addicted to it. It's because the lifestyle is amazing and the people, the community is what matters. Yeah. Yeah. I know my, uh, my husband's been encouraged me for years to start a podcast and I actually, I have a whole mixing board and all of that um, sitting right here. And um, I got a coach years ago, like, and I just, I couldn't find consistent time to do mm-hmm. it. And like you said, they're really wasn't that many podcasts. So yeah. then I didn't think there would be a demand for it, honestly. Mm-hmm. And um, I've looked at some of the great podcasts that haven't lasted. There's been some great podcasts that have yeah. just shut down. Um, mm-hmm. But we toy a lot with like, um, you know, kind of a fund your fun concept, which I might end up pursuing, um, talking about different ways to like fund a race team or an alternative lifestyle. Um, you know, because we've used real estate, and I, I think a lot of people don't know that um, we've been investors for mm-hmm. um, almost ten years, and that's why wow. I got my license um, just to have it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's not crazy money like people think it is, but um, it is consistent income that has allowed us to travel and allows us. Um, you know, in years when there were gaps in, um, you know, our, we run our race team as a business. We have um, since like 2016. Um, so it has to pay for itself. I mean, that's um, just the way it is. So, you know, it real estate for us and um, our other businesses have helped to fill those gaps. Um, but yeah, that's, um, 
people don't talk about that. People don't talk about how they fund their race teams um, right. other than like sponsorship. Um, so, and that's what I found, you know, working and doing workshops um, on sponsorship and marketing and working with racers is a lot of them are not funding it with just winnings and sponsorship. It's mm -hmm. another business. It's tons of guys do real estate. Um, that you'd be like kind of blown away by the real estate, some of um, like the outlaw drivers um, or teams uh, own. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's it's really interesting. Um, and we've been toying with that. And that's kind of one of the things I get into, you know, on my social media is right. now just, you know, being more open about that. Um, Cause it's never a secret. It's just someone yeah. would have to ask to know that. So. Right. But it's great, great vehicles for that. Instead of calling, um, you know, your competition sponsor and trying to, you know, snatch them, mm -hmm. why, don't, why don't you get, you know, another, um, you know, source of passive income um, right. pay for, you know, a tire to a week? Like, mm -hmm. it just makes sense to me. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. Um, and I think, I think that's something that a lot of, a lot of like local racers don't don't think about either um you know if they don't have like their own business if they're like still working a corporate job like my husband my husband still works a corporate job and he mm -hmm. just does this on the side um if you don't have sponsorship you know besides just bootstrapping it like like that come up with pa passive income streams i don't think that's talked about a lot but like i don't think a lot of people think about that it's like mm -hmm. you can have passive income streams and and not like make it like your full-time job right right like, right or start a business yeah. it doesn't have to be the next tesla like it, right. you know if it's 500 or a thousand dollars more a month right like, what could that do for your race team and what are the tax benefits of mm -hmm. that um the tax benefits on real estate are crazy like uh, we make more money and pay less money because of real estate on our taxes and it just that's something that i didn't know until we started doing it right um, so i just looked at like what's the income um, but there's tons of benefits to starting starting a side hustle, mm -hmm. um, you know, or investing, you know, in stocks or investing in real estate, you know, whatever it is. Um, right. There's lots of different ways to make it work um, that you know I think are happening at, at the higher level, but nobody's really talking about. Um, so I think it's fun to talk about that stuff. Yeah, you know, absolutely. For me, I mean, I've always, I've always been in racing and I've always, I've, in our whole relationship, I've missed one race ever. Wow. And that's because I was promoting another race at another track and the race, um, my husband was at as an all-star race. It was, we were sure it was going to rain out. So he's like, just go. And I'm like, of course <laughs> it's going to rain out. But um, it was fine. But uh, I've never wanted to race. So I've designed my whole life around um around how to make money and not have right. a regular job and there's nothing wrong i would be happy to you know work a regular job but mm -hmm. you know of course like entrepreneurs you're willing to work 80 hours for yourself um to not right. work 80 hours for someone <laughs> <laughs> but you yeah. to, like you know that's that lifestyle freedom um yeah and there's lots of i've always designed um my life to be that way um so i've probably missed out on a lot of opportunities in some respect, but in a lot of others, I've, 
I've explored so many avenues of business um, that allow us to race because for a long time I was the primary breadwinner until I had my son. Um, so we had to figure out how to make that work. And also for me to work um, not necessarily at the racetrack, because that's when I was handling, I was at one point, I think I had 43 racetracks that I was doing their social media. Oh, wow. And talk about like, I'm at a racetrack doing another racetrack's social media while my husband's racing, the phone's ringing. Like it was not the business that I yeah. had, you know, designed in my head. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, so I've designed that from the beginning to, um, you know, work with our lifestyle to be able to travel. And I think people, like you said, people think they have to just quit their job. Um, to have more money um, or get a raise or to be able to, you know, go on an all-star tour or something like that. And it's like, right. you know, you just have to be um, really specific and really um, plan things out. And you can explore like side income streams without having to, it's honestly easier. I think um, when you don't need that money necessarily, it's really easy to like, when you have the stability of a full-time job to just add something on the side and see what happens, you're willing to take a lot more risks. Um, you have like that consistent income already. And honestly, like you can fail a lot faster and learn so much more so quickly um, instead of just quitting your job and starting a, you know, a full on business. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and, and like, I think, um, sometimes people don't realize it's like when you start a side hustle like that, because, you know, it's something that you're passionate about. It get, it gets you, it actually helps you from getting that corporate burnout because mm -hmm. you're working on something that you're passionate about after work. Yeah. Um, and, and I can say that from experience because before, so before COVID, I had nothing, right? Like I didn't have like any side hustle thing, nothing like that. Wow. And so when I finally started the podcast last year, I started it in December. That that's how crazy it is, like how much it's grown. I just started this in December. So it, I literally am making six months, wow. <laughs> you know, and it's crazy how much it, it grew because it was something that I had a passion for after work, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like it's, it's insane how much I'm having fun with it, but obviously it can become an actual income stream, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, but if I don't want to quit my corporate job, okay. If mm -hmm. it grows to be more than what I make at my corporate job and I feel like, Hey, I want to, quit and do this full time, I can. So right. yeah, like I, people don't realize it's like a side hustle can actually make you not have burnout and make you actually a lot happier because you're doing something that you're truly passionate about. Cause yeah. most, a lot of people that work corporate jobs or whatever, that's not what they truly wanted to do. They're just right. doing it to pay the bills. Right. right. And so right. And yeah. it can make you better at your day job too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, those skills transfer. So, right. and also like, I find that, you know, I have a lot of people that um, are starting to partner with me in real estate as far as like getting their licenses and mm -hmm. starting to sell homes. Um, and it's a great, um, I hate calling a side hustle because it's like, it has like a sometimes a negative connotation in that way. <laughs> but like, if you keep your day job, you have an instant 
pool of potential clients. True. Um, so, and I think that goes for a lot of different, um, you know, businesses, but if you quit, like you don't have that built in community that a lot of jobs, um, can give you. Um, so I, I think it's so valuable to have something, even if you're not making money on it, like you're saying, it can make you happier, you know, mm -hmm. in your daily life, um, and, you know, at the job you're at. So I just think, um, I wish I had like a hobby that I didn't want to turn into a business because <laughs> like my, um, you know, that's my ultimate flaw. Um, yeah. I think everybody should have something that they're doing outside of work, you know? Right. And see, I'm the same way. Like that, that was like my issue. Cause it's like, I love certain things. And then I'm like, oh, well, I wanted to turn everything into a business. So I totally get what you're talking about. Um, for me, it's like the podcast, I love it, but yes, I do want this to become, you know, an income stream. Yeah. Um, but, but then I also have other stuff that I do that like, I, I'm not like now I realize like, that's not what I would want to like make an income out of. So like, I love art. Like I love to draw. I love, you know, painting. I, I've always done that since I was a kid. But no, I don't, I wouldn't <laughs> want to like try and sell art or nothing like that, but I love to do it. It's something, it's just a creative outlet. Yeah. But at one time I was like, oh, well maybe I could sell my art or whatever. No, like that's not me, <laughs> but you know, but, and, but I love to write and writing now that would be something I would want to do as like an income stream eventually. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm actually writing a book right now. But oh, awesome. yeah, um, it's crazy because I wrote a book like a long time ago, um, but I never did anything with it. Like it, wow. it just sat like I started writing back in 2008 and mm -hmm. um, right after I had my last daughter and just didn't do anything with it. Like just yeah. let it sit. And um, and actually it, it's crazy because it was a podcast interview. I interviewed an author. She writes about racing, you know, um, and we were talking and literally it just sparked in my head. I'm like, you know, I've been wanting to write this book for a while. I even had the title written down in my notes and everything. Cause it just came to me one night and I'm like, I need to start writing it. So I've actually started, I started That's writing awesome. again. And it's like, it's crazy. Cause it's like, I put this off for so long. Like I yeah. haven't written, I haven't written since 2010. Wow. I haven't written a, like worked on a book since 2010. And I'm like, it's time. Like, why yeah. not? <laughs> and that's just to me, like, that's uh, such a testament to mm -hmm. building the type of community um, that you're building. You know, it's, yeah. you don't know what's going to um, come to the surface for you. And you don't know what you're going to bring out in somebody else either. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just think it's so valuable if it's something that, you know, somebody wants to do, like do it because, and it's, you know, you just so many people with, you know, businesses, real estate, social media, whatever, right. racing, um, they want to wait until they have like everything perfect um, mm -hmm. to get started or have it all figured out or what is this right. my taxes or whatever. And it's like, some action is better than nothing. Like just, um, you know, start moving forward with it. So, right. Yeah. Done is better than perfect. 
Like, that's what I say. Because it's like, it's better to have taken messy action than no action at all. Yeah, like, it just, it's just a step forward. You don't know yeah. who's going to resonate with whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, and I was that person. Like, I'm a recovering, like, perfectionist because... I was like, I was always like that. I'm like, I can't put this out until it's perfect. Like I can't like the podcast. It was, oh gosh, like going back to like my first episode, it's true cringe moments. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I, cause I wasn't, I wasn't confident. Like you could tell that like I struggled a little bit because I wasn't used to talking. Um, and I didn't have guests at first either. Um, and even my first guest episode, like I could tell I wasn't very confident. I wasn't like, it was okay, but it's not like these interviews now. Like you can tell I'm not like, I'm not struggling. I'm talking like, I'm not, you know, almost like, I don't know what to say, you know, like. I, I did that first, the first couple episodes. And now, like, I've been doing this, you know, for, like, almost seven months now. And yeah. it's like, you can tell from my interviews from then till now, like, just a huge change in how I speak to people. And like you mentioned, that does cross over into my corporate job mm-hmm. because my public speaking skills are a lot better. Like the way I communicate with people is better now than what it used to be. Um, all because you be here yeah. if you didn't do that, you know, that's right. Um, yeah. It's we all, I think compare ourselves to like everybody else's highlight reel mm-hmm. of course. And it's just, um, it's, it's so it's, it's a way of that our brains keep us safe because right you know, the unfamiliar is unsafe, um, to mm-hmm. brains, but, um, it's, it's so rewarding to like start dipping a toe in and seeing what right. happens and the impact, you know, you can make. And even if it's just on yourself, like that, mm-hmm. it's worthwhile to do it. Yeah, you're right. And it's, it's true. It's like you take a risk, you know, and you see what happens. Like, and I know obviously risks are scary, Cause obviously it's like our brain, our subconscious is telling us no, like red flag, stop. Like, this is not like you're I'm not comfortable, but that's the thing. We've got to step outside of our comfort zones in order to take risks. And that's where we need to be because most of the time, what we want is outside of our comfort zone anyway. Right. Right. So it's like, you have to be able to walk that line between your subconscious and fear. And it's, it's hard. Like it's hard, like what you really want and that in fear, it's like, there's that gray area and you kind of have to like step over that. Um, and it's very hard. Um, and I, I know from, from experience because this was a fear, you know, putting my voice out there for the world to hear. That was not something easy to do. And, and like you mentioned, like creating content, like that was out of your comfort zone too, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, that's what we had to do to be able to do what we're passionate about. We had to yeah. take that step. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And you have to think about like, if you have a business, like where does your ideal client live? Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I know, you know, with Dirty Mouth, when I built Dirty Mouth, um, I didn't use much social media, believe it or not, to get social media clients. Um, I blogged and I knew that using YouTube and um, Twitter and Facebook at the time would have gotten me so much further. Right. But it also, it weeded out, like if somebody wasn't willing to read like a really in-depth 15 minute like long piece of data with a spreadsheet attached. Like those are the clients that I want. Um, mm -hmm. So I did like, I got a lot of um, NASCAR drivers, um, current and former that like either their wives their PR manager or them um, were on my blog and hired me hmm. um, to work with their foundations or with their racetracks or with races they were promoting. And it just kind of like self selected the types of clients. I wanted people that valued data, um, right. that were willing to like put in some time um, into the content um, versus like I did eventually, like, you know, it's that trickle down um, effect. Like when people started hearing about who's doing this, who's doing this, whatever, word of mouth. And that's why I called it dirty mouth, um, was <laughs> word of mouth marketing. Um, but then you start getting the guys that like, they don't want you to teach them sponsorship. They want you to just do it for them. Right. Um, and also like there is, I mean, there's um, people that do that and there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, um, I can't control the product then. I mean, I still get people regularly asking me to go pitch companies for them. And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I'm going to get, um, pitch a $10,000 sponsorship. I'm going to get paid $1,500. And if you don't actually do any of the stuff that you said you were going to do, yeah. You look sad. Like exactly. I can't. I can't put my name on things that I don't have any control over. Mm -hmm. Um. So that for me, like marketing to a very specific client and creating very specific content, it's a lot of people are so scared to niche down, and you find this with real estate too. It's like yeah. well, I'll sell any house. No. Um. I want to be like super specific about who my clients mm -hmm. are because they're the ones that are going to be happy with the type of um, information. Like I get really deep into the information um, that I provide and the data and the research. Right. Um, and that's kind of self-selecting. So you don't have to go everywhere and um, do everything, but you have to do the things that the type of people you want to attract are into, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so that's, um, you know, one thing that I've found, um, by like creating content and using my voice, I'm, I'm targeting a really niche audience and it will grow out from there, but you have to get really good at, you know, finding the type of people that you want to find and not just anybody, you know? Yeah. And see, and that was something that, um, I was actually told by, by some social media marketers and stuff that that I niched down too much because I catered to only women in motorsports and not women in sports or not you know the men also in motorsports but I did it for a reason because women in motorsports I mean there was a study done by the the FIA that women in motorsports get less TV time they get less sponsorships they get less platforms, period. Um, and I wanted to cater to that audience because they're the minority in a male dominated industry. And 
you know, I mean, but how much purchasing power and how many decisions do we make? You know, I find <laughs> like real estate, like you think of real estate and people buying real estate, you think of men, 80% of real estate decisions are made by women. Exactly. You just don't see it, you know? Um, so it's, I think it's the same in racing. Like if I don't want to go to a racetrack, we're not going. And it's not right. because I put my foot down. It's just because we make decisions together. And yeah. honestly, like a lot of times, if you're not the driver, you have a lot better perspective on, you know, mm -hmm. what the skill set is, you know, what's financially right, you know, feasible, um, mm -hmm. all of those things, like, and take the ego out of it or the, right. um, you know, enthusiasm out of it, maybe. Um, but we make a lot of the decisions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And I think when you, um, you know, you're growing a community and it might be, smaller now but it, it'll mm -hmm. grow beyond women in motorsports or race wives um it's i'm sure it probably already is but um yeah niching down i think and just talking to that one person that you want to talk to um you're going to attract more people like that absolutely um because we're not supposed to cater to everybody that that that's the whole point whenever you're a business owner like you're not supposed to cater to every single person you're supposed to cater to a certain targeted demographic and you know and yeah like if i if i go too broad then i'm not catering really to anyone like i'm just going out there in the void and seeing what sticks right um and that's not gonna it's not number one like if you're trying to build it as a business and not a hobby you know then you have to you have to think of your the specific audience that you want to target other yeah. than that you're you're not either if you do get clients it's going to be the clients you don't want yeah. <laughs> or two it you're not going to get any clients at all so right. you have yeah you have to find you know the the women that or men or what whoever it is that you're wanting to cater to um you know and and stick with that and yeah. put out the content that they would, you know, that they would actually look at. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, I can clearly talk about that all day. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but no, uh, it was so good to have you on. And obviously, you know, I will share all like all your links everywhere where you guys can find Kristen, um, you know, maybe buy a house from her. You know, if you, if you live, you know, if you live in Pennsylvania and you're, and you're wanting to, you know, buy in that area. Um, well, that's actually like one of the things that, um, you know, from niching down, like I've learned. So one of my specialties is actually helping out of state clients. So you don't actually have to be in Pennsylvania for us to work together. Um, I have like a really powerful um, network of realtors that I work with all over the country, actually in like 24 countries now even but oh, wow. if you want to buy or sell in your area get in touch with me because i either have a realtor or i will help you interview a realtor in your area um that can help you with whatever it is especially i mean i'm really good at um like race shop garage um or even like commercial i do some commercial um properties but that's one of my specialties is connecting people no matter <laughs> where they are with the realtor that it will be the right fit for them. So yeah, you don't even have to be in my area for us to work together. Um, and if you want 
any sort of buying and selling resources. I have um, a ton of information that's free that, you know, I can send over, but yeah, hooking you up with a really, there, there are a small percentage of really good realtors out there. Um, so <laughs> I'm really good at helping you find that in your area. Um, so yeah. That's funny, um, little known fact that I need to be talking more about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, it, especially, you know, for people that don't live in the Pennsylvania area, you know, you can still reach out to Kristen, Kristen if you need, you know, any either to buy a home, sell a home, whatever it might might be. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, we'll link your social media um, so people can reach out to you. And no, thank you once again for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And I'm so glad you were able to share your story with us. Well, thanks for asking me to come on. It's um, not my natural <laughs> habitat. <laughs> I enjoy it very much um, and I appreciate it. Yeah, no, of course. I'm, I'm glad you were able to take time to do it. So thank you. Well, guys, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Kristen. I know I did. Um, it was so much fun being able to talk to her and obviously uh, geek out about marketing stuff because that's just um, something that I love as well. Um, having a digital marketing background and uh, talking to Kristen about that the whole time was a lot of fun. I normally don't get to talk about that stuff uh, with anybody else. So, um, so yeah, uh, guys, if you are interested in knowing more about Kristen's uh, real estate business and also, you know, just following her journey, uh, definitely, um, check her out on Instagram and her other platforms. All of that will be linked in the description and, um, and yeah, so guys definitely make sure that you, uh, follow or subscribe to the podcast um, on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever. Um, you know, we are all over the place. And um, reminder that starting next month, we go to two episodes a week. So episodes will be coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays um, until November. And then in November, um, we will not have any more guests after November. Um, after November, it will be only myself and, you know, probably some replays, some recaps, things like that. Because, guys, December and most of January, I'm going on a break because I need to. I've been interviewing and going nonstop since December of last year. So, you know, I'm going to still do other types of content. Uh, so don't worry, I'm still going to be around. But I'm needing to be able to interview other people for season two of Race Wife Unfiltered, which will come out at the beginning of February of next year. So yeah, guys, that's it for me. Until next week, uh, take care and see you next Thursday.